0: Pale horse. The man who sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man.
1: and welcome to declarations of war we are back once again with another episode myself and faithful co-host artemis howdy howdy artemis albosa now of the capitalist army welcome welcome
0: spoiler alert
1: yeah making it official baby <laughs> uh first off i want to give a shout out to artemis himself for his help in the war against ebola and his very wise corp membership decisions You, would all out there in our audience do well to take a lesson from artemis very very brave very wise mm. good life decisions
0: <laughs> well my shout like goes to my new court mates of course it's like you know you join a new corp you gotta shout them out that's how this goes
1: and of course our sponsor eve onion whose editor has joined the capitalist army as well and that is wow. not a fake story this is the straight political dope. Of course, the controversial news that Eve Onion is covering that no other Eve media property will even touch is that Eve's planned speedrun at Games Done Quick has been canceled. Oh, Aw, Very unfortunate. So they so give if- a reason. Well, if you want to find out the story, the exclusive story, you need to go to eveonion.com. Eve Onion, we break the news of Eve Online. Well, poll-wise... Uh, not that many people voted in this poll, but it did have to do with the Alliance Tournament. I think we will save that for the Alliance Tournament section. So there is a great deal to discuss there. Let's move right into the big war update. Not a lot of movement, I gotta say. Um, this war has definitely taken a more World War one ish trench warfare type vibe. Would you say that's about right, Artemis?
0: Uh, I mean, it's it's difficult to say. I think so. I don't. I don't know, man. My history is not that great, to be honest with you. It's definitely lasting a lot longer than I had anticipated. Like I figured, a month tops, and freaking GOTG would be collapsed. Goons would own fade. Probably half a tribute. Pure blind would be a ghost land. Well, not a ghost Ghostland, it'd still be the, the corpse, because the corpse who live there, the alliances that live there, just love to fight, so I figured they'd stick around. But as far as like established groups doing their thing, building empires and whatnot, I figured that'd be gone. But um here we are, still fighting over Fade, and it's not like there's big action going on in the south that's really holding the imperium's attention in fact we've seen legacy up fighting in the north from time to time recently so it's it's curious um i'm wondering why well i'm wondering a couple of things one of those things is is pl's super capital fleet still in the north because they did move at least a portion of it up for the defense of the x-47 Keepstar. and so the question is is that still there And then the other question is, what's going on in the south? Because I haven't really seen much activity from PL. So are they actually fully deployed up north? Is that what's happening? Are we going to see this two-front war collapse into a one-front war with like Triumvirate, Skill Yourself, Bolta doing some um, home-based harassment, basically making it hard on the day-to-day life of the line members, make it difficult for them to restock their wallets, if you will? We'll have to see as things goes on. I think the, the thorn in the side of Imperial Legacy at the moment is definitely the Entosis War. They're struggling to take down these I-Hubs, which are powering the cynojammers. They have succeeded a number of times in taking a whole constellation in Fade, but they're on their third or fourth attempt now at taking out the DWTech I-Hub, which is the CO2 staging IHUB, hub so that they can drop on that Keepstar. So keep an eye out. I think it is actively reinforced as we're recording, so probably come this weekend. We may have another keep start timer. We'll find out.
1: If this does collapse to a one-front war, what do you think the dynamic is going to be? What Which side does that favor?
0: That's a tricky question to answer. Um, if it collapses to a one-front war, then we have the question of can Legacy do what goons are doing and keep like some supers home for home defense and move some supers north? If not, then all they're adding is more manpower or N-plus-1, which the North will also get. So it's not necessarily... They probably have more N-plus-1 manpower, and probably some better Sov FCs, so they may gain an advantage there. You would be gaining some supers and such from PL, but with the Santa Jam system that'll only come into play over Keepstar Battles, which I think, no matter what, Greens still probably have the numerical advantage there. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I'm not sure what the dynamic would look like. I think it'd be more of the same, just with more numbers, and I'm not sure who the advantage would slide to.
1: I'm going to go out on a limb and say the advantage very slightly may favor NC.NPL. Why do you say that? Well, it seems like if it goes one front war, the one front is going to be up in the north. They have a bit of a home field advantage, slightly easier logistics. I also think that... Test and Goons are so big that, in fact, their ability to have a fully functioning armor superfleet and shield superfleet in two entirely different theaters of war at the same time is a really huge organizational advantage that they will cede to PL, NCDOT, and uh, TRY, etc. The other forces can kind of do that, but their split superfleets aren't nearly big enough to challenge. Having everything in one spot, I think there's like an oversaturation of, of supers on Goon's side. But it may be that that kind of brute force approach is needed if they're having trouble.
0: Hmm.
1: I think it's just, it's a suboptimal use of their organizational advantages. But at the same time, you got to do whatever it takes to win at the end of the day. Certainly very interesting. We will keep you guys abreast of any and all changes on this front. Uh, one interesting thing to keep in mind we're always kind of watching this is as the north is on the back foot and they definitely are slowly losing the war but still losing it goons are on the offensive what's going to happen morale wise the big question as Artemis kind of touched on at the top of this is how long can Guardians of the Galaxy hold out how long can CO2 hold out how long can the defense of their eye hub last they only need to make a few mistakes for goons to punch through, and punch through very far before they hit another roadblock. And I've already got intelligence that a lot of the pure-blind alliances out there, the morale is not good. They are discussing other options, let's just say that. So, these conversations are happening. If goons keeps up the pressure, and it doesn't seem like they're going to relent anytime soon, there's a ticking clock element to this. Speaking of ticking clocks, the Alliance tournament finals had a lot of time limit stuff going on. What a uh, interesting finals for the Alliance tournament, if you want to call it that.
0: I'll take your word for it. You didn't, uh, didn't even watch I it. That I did not watch the final two weekends. I watched the fourth map of the final or fourth uh, match of the final because Alec recommended it. But other than that, I kind of gave
1: up. Fourth match of the final. Fourth match of the finals, the most interesting one. Um, Try got knocked out in the semifinals. I was a little sad about that. I really wanted to see those guys go all the way. We had Vidra versus Hydra. Vidra eventually pulling it out. And eventually is the key word. All the matches basically went to time limit draw, or not time limit draw, but like went to the time limit or really close to it. They were fairly one-sided. ECM played a huge factor, but I think was a bit overstated in a lot of analysis that I've seen around the Alliance Tournament victories. Yes, the ECM was key, but there was also a lot of other stuff going on there in terms of target selection, uh, smart bombing, and just the execution was just better for Vydra.
0: Yeah, if you've, if you've ever actually flown in the Alliance Tournament and tried to execute an ECM team... Like, especially when you're doing teams where you have a limited number of ECM ships, and it's not a mass ECM team, uh, there is a lot of strategic elements and working pieces that have to go into play at exactly the right moment, because you have a very short window when a lucky jam lands, that you can take advantage of it, and it's quite a difficult task to see when a good opportunity is to take advantage of, like... One jam landing doesn't necessarily win you the match, but another jam landing might. But you have to take the proper steps to take advantage of it. So I think that um, people complaining that random ECM RNG wins the AT are oversimplifying and undervaluing the piloting involved in taking advantage of a successful jam. And
1: keeping some key ships jammed is is pretty big. The strategy seemed to be trying to jam the logistics... And punch through the DPS. It didn't work out great for a lot of teams that tried it because oftentimes they didn't pack enough damage to punch through another ship before the ECM wore off or they failed to roll and the Lodgy would come back on and that guy would get ripped right back up. Uh, the right ECM teams them? had a good mix of damage and had I mean, the Lashak was great but there was a lot of counterplay to the Lashak built into teams because people kept bringing it
0: yeah, that was going to be my question. Were ECM teams using a lot of the Triglavian ships to add extra damage?
1: They did seem to be a little bit. Uh, the Vedmac, yeah, the Vedmac, I think it is, or the Damavac, I forget which one. And the, uh, the Lashak. they were the, the major players. I think the Vedmac. Gotcha. Good?
0: It's interesting. I know, watching that fourth match, it, you could tell that that was sort of the plan of Hydra. Hydra brought a super top-heavy team. Um, so they had Vindy, Balgorn, Lashak, and then a Chameleon. And then they had the Bedmac and the Damovics. They had the full line of Draglavian ships, Lodgy Frig, Pontifex, Lodgy Frigs, too, Deacon and then a Chameleon. And the Chameleon's jams were rather effective. You could tell that when the Chameleon had the Rapid Light Cruisers, at least from what I could see watching it, when it had the cruisers from the Vidra team who brought effectively rapid light spam plus bar guest, which we saw earlier on in the tournament, but I don't think we saw it with the kitsune. And what was the other twist that they brought to it? I think it was just a kitsune. So in order to make the points work with the bardest and having a logistics cruiser. You, have to, you basically only get two Rapid Light Missile Launcher cruisers, so they chose the Orthrus and the Cerberus, and then the rest of it they had Flycatcher, Jackdaw, things like that. So super anemic on damage if your cruisers aren't supplying their damage. And I think that's why the Logifrakes lasted as long as they did, and then you could tell as soon as those cruisers died later on in the match, they just didn't even have the damage to break through the SIG tank plus RepBot tank on the single remaining Thalia. The rapid heavies of the bargas couldn't apply and the destroyer DPS was just too minimal.
1: Well, I guess at the end of the day you can look at it one of two ways. They were boring or they were really high level teams executing against each other and just minimizing mistakes to the point that the matches weren't blowouts. That's really that depends on whether you have a positive or negative look at the tournament overall.
0: I'ma go with it was boring. <laughs>
1: I will say this, I really want a Rubisu now. There's think it's a tournament MVP. Jesus.
0: Yeah, those things are fantastic. I am very sad because two Vangles died, and those are still my favorite ship in the game. Like, it's the best haul in the game, the best ship class in the game, the best bonuses in the game. Like, it's got freaking newts and missiles on a sacrilege haul. You can't get any better than that, except for the Rubisu. The Rubisu may be better, but I still like the Vangle, and its price has just gone up, and it makes me sad.
1: Well. Yeah, quite a few last tournament ships died, Yeah, we which had. I guess you expect every year, but it it was kind of concentrated in the last two days.
0: We had two Vangles die, a Chameleon die, Um, did anything else die? Didn't a Rubisu die? Yeah. And then outside of the tournament, we had, what, an Imp, and uh, a Whiptail, and a... Was it two imps and a whiptail that died?
1: Oh, I'd only heard about the one.
0: Maybe it was just the AAR from the first wimp that died that I saw. But the second imp that died, was it Bjorn B? Oh, he lost the whiptail tail. So you know, not a my boy Bjorn. I don't remember. I do know that two of them died. In any case, it's a it's a good day to be an AT ship owner because your asset valuation just went up.
1: Let's move into the Wildlands War update. We've got a lot to talk about there. If any of the new alliance tournament ships day, die, we'll be sure to let you guys know.
0: Can we talk about your branding for a minute, Alec? Like sure. the Wildlands War, really?
1: Well, it never really did get a name, did it?
0: How about the Wild War? I mean, come on.
1: Wild War Two. Yeah. <laughs> fine, fine. Well, it's Wild no, War Two no. now. It
0: was Wild War One. We're coming up on Wild War Two. We'll get to that in a few minutes.
1: No, we we already had a Wild War One. Did we?
0: Did I miss one?
1: Yeah, you, yeah, you missed tons, dude.
0: Oh, okay. Then we're coming it was up uh, the
1: Wild the War. Providence expats versus the uh, not blue shooter oh, alliances. AFK. I remember yeah. Now. I would consider that Wildlands War One. All right. The Wild War One, as we're saying now.
0: Now we're on Wild War Two.
1: Wild War Two, Part Two, as it turns out. So let's get into it. Um, as we last left off, you guys, we had reinforced Ebola's Athenor and YUY. Ebola did not engage us on it, uh, but they later, I think the next day, or it might have even been less than a day later, attempted to drop on a Rorkwall and Scalding Pass with one of our Blues, that were blue for this fight, one of the Cure Alliances. And that shit spiraled out of control real fast. <laughs> Holy fuck. Uh, the resulting cap fight was a total wipe for Ebola eight point six billion lost to just under five hundred mil from the cure, which did include two barges that they successfully killed work uh, well saved. This saw the first offensive use of super caps by the cure side. I guess uh, people felt safe using them so they got whipped out and shredded stuff. This is kind of cool because, uh, if you recall from the last episode, Ebola had whipped out their own supers to defend a structure that had gotten reinforced in LoSec, but didn't actually, you know, use use them. They just kind of showed them off, and we didn't get an engagement. So, just an escalation from both sides. Very interestingly, it seems that this loss was kind of a straw that broke the camel's back, because real quick after, I think, a matter of days, if if that... Uh, I'm not sure on the exact timing I've written down here, but it was really effing fast. I would say less than two days, could have even been less than a day. It was over, theoretically. There had been a coup, and we had heard there were rumors of cracks forming within Ebola for a long time, members really dissatisfied with the decision to go to war with literally everyone else in the region and in two surrounding regions. Weren't happy with the way it was playing out, weren't happy with the way their leadership was talking to them. Apparently, they were getting berated constantly. Allegedly, you know, we only have the word of the coupers themselves to go on here, but I presume it's verifiable. The alliance executor, Mavecki, said essentially the effect if he wanted to go back to the days when they were a German-only alliance and they were going to kick out all the English speaking and USTZ corps they had picked up. At which point, his directorship was like, uh, No. <laughs> We're not going to do that. They went full coup. Uh Darvo, Thalair, and Nexus Crawler kicked out all the Alt Corps. They got the fifty percent of the remaining member corps to switch allegiance so the executor corp got transferred over. Uh they transferred every structure they could it was transferred over, or uh I guess taken down, but I think they just straight up took it and kept it up. Some of their stuff was still theirs. I think Ebola still has a handful of Citadels, mostly the small stuff. And I believe they still have some Pocos. But like Fortizar got transferred over. Uh, all the cap production stuff got transferred over. Basically fucking jacked. And then they dropped the Alliance. Now they did do a nice thing. They gave the Alliance back to the Executors. They didn't like steal it permanently. They did give the guy his, his Alliance back, which is nice. But it cost them pretty dearly. They went from eh, about uh, 425-ish members all the way down to a little over 100 right now.
0: That's in Ebola or in POD, the new group?
1: Ebola. So the new group is called, theoretically called POD, Plague of Dissidents. None of the corps involved have joined that alliance yet. They're still on their own. Um, Oh. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's interesting.
1: It is, indeed. Uh, so they kicked out a bunch of alt corps the main groups that are involved in this, New and Patriots uh am I looking at this right? Yeah Planet Express Plan-It Express ha 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 Prime, Magister Mortalis, New Civil Fleet Fifth Rebel Corporation Golden Falcon Mining Corporation Emeritus, Sons of Liberty Sons of Dystopia those last two are sort of the core of this new alliance or soon-to-be alliance. Even though they're not in the new alliance, we're just going to call them P.O.D. for convenience's sake, because they've still been acting as a group. They, uh, theoretically, were going to give Ebola a week to get all their stuff safe, but, uh, you know, I don't blame them for this. Ebola started shooting them almost immediately, which further led to a breakdown of their relations, and now they were sort of camping and reinforcing each other back and forth in the area. As you can imagine, is not too pleased at having all his stuff jacked. Now, while this is all going on, the pod guys, Darvo and Nexus and Achilles, their Diplo Corps, basically sued for peace almost immediately. Like, hey, we dropped Ebola now. I know that we wrote all these mails to you, threatening you, and have been, like, leading all the fleets against you, but really the whole thing was Maveki's idea. So, you know, now that we're out, like, can you not shoot us anymore and, and not blow up all of our stuff? The Unthinkables basically made the decision to agree to that. There was some discussion back and forth. It was all going on in European time zone, so I don't have the first hand here, but the short version is the deal was the war would be over, and pod would intend to leave Great Wildlands for some kind of sob space and there was an offer for Unthinkables and the other people in the cure to go and assist with that effort in exchange for some kind of ship reimbursement deal. And they were gonna go help Dream Fleet against Red Alliance out in the drone lands. Well that fell apart real quick. Things broke down real fast. <laughs> and eventually hands were thrown up. It's like oh fuck this, like everything's back on. Let's let's start shooting each other again. Personally, I have no idea, like I, it's beyond me why anyone on either side thought that that arrangement was going to work out because both sides like really hated each other and you know as far as keeping words on deals Darvo, Nexus, Achilles had just cooed this alliance that they'd been in for literally I mean some of them quite a long time the Sons of Dystopia had been there since 2017 so yeah I don't know why that was going on uh, I think there was a, from the Cure side, the thought was like, hey, let's go get some content, ship reimbursement, that's a pretty good deal, this could be fun. Uh, I think people were still spoiling for a fight and, like, kind of wanted to see the real end of the war and not have it kind of fizzle out due to some backstabbing. Which I get. Uh, Can's like our corp capitalist army, we were not going to go do that. We were like, ah, you guys have fun. CURE being a really more of a defensive coalition than anything else we didn't have any interest in getting involved in somebody else's null war especially not to assist uh, these guys that we had just been fighting rather bitterly so that's the state of things now felt pretty good for at least a little while to think hey we won but I kind of had a feeling things weren't really over
0: so, if anybody else who is currently listening to the podcast was sitting there with images of pigeons in your head, you are not alone. Pigeons? Cooing. Explain. Pigeons coo. Ah! You, were, you used the word coo and cooing and cooers, I don't know how many times <laughs> in that description, and the entire time I was sitting here chuckling without pressing my push to talk because <laughs> all I could imagine was. Russian
1: pigeons. (laughs) Russian pigeons? They're Germans!
0: I don't know, man. Like, you mentioned the freaking Dream Fleet and all those guys, Red lions. so I just had Russian pigeons in my head. (laughs) Cigarette hanging out of its mouth, sitting atop
1: (laughs) of, like, a tipped-over vodka bottle, like,
0: some urban landscape somewhere.
1: Whenever I think of pigeons, I can't help but think of the good feathers from Animaniacs.
0: I have no idea what that is.
1: What? Oh, Artemis. We have to have conversations later. Can we? They're like, a, we like? a take on Goodfellas, but with pigeons, obviously.
0: See, so yeah, I know Goodfellas. I think I know... That was, um, what's his face? Super famous director guy.
1: Right? Yeah. <laughs> it was like a... It was a whole Bob thing. Anyway, look, I'll educate you later. The audience knows what I'm talking about, because they are very smart and intellectual. They are men of culture.
0: Whoa, I don't quite appreciate the implication there.
1: Well, I'm sorry, Artemis, you know. It's, it's not like you don't have the internet. You could correct these gaps.
0: Well, you know, plenty of people have the internet, and they do not um, soil themselves by oh. consuming some of the more outlandish media available.
1: So. Oh, is that so?
0: I would not reckon that the existence of the internet and the presence of some particular piece of content on it means that the lack of observance of said piece of content implies a lack of culture.
1: I Uh, bite my thumb at you, sir. Your thumb? Indeed.
0: Is this a thing? Is this another piece of culture and high intellectual... Uh... I don't know. He he doesn't
1: know Shakespeare, he doesn't know Animaniacs. Do you guys hear what I'm working with over here?
0: Okay. Shakespeare Shakespeare is freaking boring, dude. Like, legit. Wow, bro. Wow. I lack an appreciation for the classics, and I don't quite understand why Pigeon's reenacting some other actually legitimately good movie is uh, an important piece of culture, too understand i'm sorry no I'm not i forgive sorry. you i forgive you anyway okay well can we get back to fighting please
1: <laughs> like i just <laughs> oh we are getting follow. back to fighting the fighting and, like, has begun
0: you have so- had two fights without me and we need to talk about this because the deal <laughs> is when i joined your corp you're not allowed to have fights when i can't be there okay so we need to sit down i'll hand you my schedule and then we can work this
1: out yeah we can work it out Oh, it's going to be good times coming up. There's rumors of additional third parties getting involved.
0: Yeah, speaking of which, I heard a rumor that freaking, um, who was it? One of the, one of the low-sec groups.
1: Templars Calcif.
0: Yeah, I heard a rumor that they were making their way down.
1: And they have indeed. They're starting to pop up on killboards. That's our boy, Killah. Villa 542, a.k.a. Team Captain for Templus Calcif's Alliance Tournament team. I was like, hey, so great and seemed like fun. We're like, yeah, sure it is. And so uh, I guess they were looking for something to do. We really didn't touch on this, but it is kind of a big deal. Um, and I would love to get a little more info on it. Maybe we could have one of them on as a guest soon. But Templus Calcif and uh, what's the other one? The, Q- the Core? The Block. The Block. Uh, major Faction Warfare Alliances, for years, have up and quit. Uh, They said they're not like the direction LOSEC is going, particularly with some of the bigger LOSEC super cap groups allying themselves with null blocks like the Imperium. Uh, They are just, I guess, over it. Uh, And they're looking for new things to do. That's kind of huge.
0: I mean, for the record, they did just, like, get steamrolled again. Like, I'm not super... Um, in tune with the politics of faction warfare, but I was talking to Ashtarati just before, I'd say about a month before the big war started, and they were talking about how after some patch, there was going to be a big push from the Galente side, because historically, Galente has dominated the Galente-Kaldari faction warfare sphere, and the Kaldari have always had some sort of excuse or another, like the, the Galente are just too good at stab farming plexes, or the Galente already have control of the war zone, and so there's too much of an advantage there, or the Galente gained a significant advantage because they had more control of the war zone when Alphas came out, and so they gained most of the membership, things like that. And so now, this most recent push, essentially the Galente had held back. Done their little NullSec thing. They k- took sod out in Cloud Ring. Didn't really care about losing, um, increased LP income because the Vection AV issue is a thing. <laughs> and so they just took whatever LP they had into that, let the price of the VNI rise. And there you go. People still bought it anyway. Like, the VNI went from something like 63 mil to 150 mil. It was insane. And, um, so they did that and then they went and pushed back. Basically the Kaldari had gotten up to tier five, I think it was. I could be wrong there, I'd love to be corrected if you know for sure. And then got basically got steamrolled. Sure, goons played a role in that, like they showed up for big fights. But it's not like the Kaldari side hadn't done similar things on other big fights. So I don't I don't know. I think this is just a bunch of the Kaldari groups are tired of losing and they're using the, the Null Blocks' most recent involvement as an excuse to do so, and still sort of hold their heads high. No offense, Killa and your bros, but that's, ah. that's Artemis' hot take.
1: <laughs> I don't know that I, I fully agree with that, because they've lost badly before. Like, this isn't a new circumstance for them in that sense, and they've never done anything this drastic. They've persevered, and you know, they may have done other things like not push for a little while or but they've never up and left and basically declare that the whole point of their alliance is going to change that's a very drastic step and i i can't imagine an executor and his leadership team going oh well we lost i guess we're just going to give up especially when they faced that situation before and have been involved in that fight for years like they recruited all their members under the the pretext of being faction warfare alliances. So there has to be something more going on.
0: Well, I mean, think of it this way, right? You've been a faction warfare alliance. You've been fighting this fight for years. You have tried everything, right? You just went into this most recent war having every advantage, right? You weren't locked out of any of your stations. The citadels are a thing. You've got majority control of the war zone. You've got the LP market advantage, And even still, you lose. So at that point, it's like, well, there's nothing new to try. And even if we did manage to recruit a bunch of people, now our opponents happen to have massive null block allies right next door. So there is no reason to keep beating our head against this wall.
1: Yeah, that I'll buy. And, And, you know, nothing wrong with that at all. Like, Eve is a big game if something's not working for you and for whatever reason it's just not fun anymore find fun find fun there's like that's what you should do i agree so anyway i'm really looking forward to having kill it around um we're not blue with them or anything it seems like we will be roaming into each other and stuff but he's a really great pilot um looking forward to getting to know his alliance a little bit better seeing if they're uh... I doubt we're going to get the 10v10 experience of the Alliance Tournament, but it's going to be pretty fun to fight pilots of that skill. Uh, Uh, Finally, we got asked by listener Kyle Haste shout out to Kyle if we could break down the Triglavian ships. They've been so heavily used in the Alliance Tournament he wants to know what they do, why are they so popular, when to use them, how to beat them. So this is kind of a a little bit of a theory-crafting corner that we're going to bring back for for our listener Kyle here. And if you guys have any segments that you want to request on Declarations of War, send it in, because we are pretty accommodating. Like We usually have a lot to talk about, but if you guys want to hear more about a particular topic and you're a loyal listener, we will absolutely do it. So don't be shy. And let's face it,
0: I think we're all getting a little tired of no block politics here. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, another Keep star fight, you guys. <laughs> Alright, so let's get into it. What's the deal with the Triglavians?
0: Well, their ships look freaking awesome, for one. I think you cannot discount the cool factor here. Like, yeah, they're
1: definitely number
0: like... Number one, the biggest deal.
1: <laughs> yeah, they are very stylish. Let's not play games. They've got really cool effects, a really unique design for EVE... Their weapon system looks cool.
0: Yeah, so do we want let's, to, um, let's do this. So first off, we'll describe the ships generically. We'll discuss, we'll, we'll describe their features um, and how that differs from other existing ships and weapon systems, and then we'll discuss sort of why it's so prevalent in the AT, and then move on to sort of typical tranquility use. Sound good?
1: Yeah, and to start off, I think we need to talk about what the Triglavian ships are. There's three of them. They come in three sizes. There's the Damovic, which is a frigate, a cruiser, the Vedmac, and then all the way up to Battleship, which is the Lashak, and that's what you've seen most often in the Alliance tournament. And there's no battlecruiser or destroyer variants. There's no tech two or faction. It's just this.
0: Well, they are veritably faction, are they not?
1: Uh, well, yeah, that's true. Well, actually... We don't really know if they're faction or a new race. And I guess that really hasn't been explained.
0: That's a good point. Do they have the
1: faction tag on them? Uh, I don't know. very interesting to see. I I kind of suspect they don't because the unique weapon system that they use, which is a defining feature of this ship, so or, game, excuse me, this whole ship line. Sorry, get game,
0: They do not have like on the on the icon for ships. If it's a T two, it has a little T two. If it's a faction, it has a little faction. The Vedmac does not. So the Triglavian ships, similar to the Society of Conscious Thought, so the Praxis, the Gnosis, and the Senesis, um, they do not have the faction tag on them. So they are not like a pirate faction or navy faction race in the standard sense. It's interesting, um Yeah. I wonder
1: They also why... require a totally different skill line to train for it, unlike faction ships which usually make use of one or more racial types.
0: Indeed. So
1: let's let's talk
0: about the bonuses on the ships because I feel like CCP had a vision for the way they wanted these ships to fly when they put the bonuses on the different sizes of ships.
1: Do you have those pulled up? Uh, I do sort of have them pulled up. Uh, I've got my uh, trusty Pifa here. I have switched off of EFT. Generally, talk about on the show, but yeah I'm done. Sorry, EFT. Uh, the audio updating from Pifa is just too good. So anyway, you've got the Damovic. It is, slot layout-wise, three high slots, two medium slots, four lows. They get three rigs, like most Tech 1 and Faction ships. They have a 5% bonus to their weapon, the Light and Tropic Disintegrator, and a 7.5% bonus to their optimal range. And then there's a number of roll bonuses that come with. 100% bonus to remote armor repair range, 50% reduced cap, excuse me, energy neutralizer cap need, 50% remote reduced remote armor rep need. 50% reduced smart bomb capacitor need. And the way that this works out is because they only have one turret slot. And their one turret slot does a boatload of damage. But they have three highs, which enables you to fit a number of utility mods. And you'll see this style replicated in the VEDMAC and the Lashak when we get to them.
0: Yeah, so the VEDMAC, it, um very similar. Its slot layout is... 4 highs, 6 lows, so these are all typically armor tank ships as far as the slot layout is concerned, and then 4 mids, which is very good for an armor cruiser. I think the, only the Galente has 4 mids, it's not an Ewar ship. So these are, if you're looking at the, the sort of soft categories of ships, these are combat, so think of them like an Omen or a Thorax, rather than an Arbitrator or a Bellicose, for example. And And tank
1: wise, they may not have tank bonuses, but with that six low slot layout, you can actually put quite a bit on there. So uh, they're not like mauler tanky, but they will be tankier than say your usual omen, which would be quite a bit more fragile.
0: It's also worth noting that the guns do not have rigs for them yet. So like, normal weapon systems, or other weapon systems rather, will have rigs to increase their range, increase their tracking, increase their damage, reduce capacity, things like that. Whereas the Triglavian weapon systems don't. So that sort of removes some options for your rig slots, but it basically means you're going to be using them exclusively for tank or for fitting. Some people use them for speed. Um, you'll see that more often than not in like the null sec small gang stuff that we'll talk about a bit later. But it's, it provides an interesting dynamic when you're looking at fitting your ship, because you know that if you want to increase the damage output of your ship, you have to use your low slots to do it. Your rigs are not an option. But in any case, getting back to the stats of the VEDMAC, it differs from the Damavik only in that instead of an optimal range bonus, it has a tracking speed bonus. And so I think what this does is it, it sets the Damovic up to be sort of a scram kiting type ship. Where in the faction warfare plex meta you've got the ships are effectively relegated to scram range because of the mechanics of the plexes and the gates and things. And there are ships which do scram kiting, which effectively means they scram and hold down their target and then get to the very edge of scram range where things like blasters or even most pulse lasers' rockets can't reach out that far and apply the majority of their damage, and then your ship is designed to apply more damage and kill off your target. So I think that's sort of how they designed the Damavik when they made it. It's also important because the Triglavian weapon system itself is unique in that it has a hard cap on its range. It has zero falloff. If a target goes outside of your range, which is based on the ammo that you have loaded, your gun turns off. And that is especially key because your damage ramps up over time. I think it takes something like a minute 45 seconds for your damage to fully ramp up on the battleship if you don't overheat.
1: Well, it brings us to the next defining element, which is this weapon system. And I think we can't talk about the Lashak until we talk about the guns, because that plays very much into the Lashak's bonus. As Artemis mentioned, it's... Unique in that it turns off. The reason why this is significant is because of the damage ramp up. It starts relatively low, but if you are able to keep firing successfully on the same target, you don't miss, you don't go out of range, you don't deactivate.
0: Well, you do miss.
1: It resets if you miss.
0: Like, you, do, you don't You do have perfect tracking. You can get grazing hits and things like that.
1: Yeah, but if you miss entirely... your damage will reset. Yeah. Once it's fully charged, you're talking some of the best in class damage for each of these ships. The Lashak can easily exceed 2,000 DPS. And the Lashak is very significant because it has a rate of fire bonus, which makes it is ramping up much, much faster than both the Bedmak and the Damovic.
0: Yep. Now, the
1: other key element of uh... these ships... Oh, sorry, get Artemis. I
0: was just going to say, you want to quickly roll through the stats on that, Lishank?
1: Uh Sure. It's got five highs, four mids, much like the cruiser, and then eight lows. That is the EVE maximum for low slots. So you can super tank it. You can put a little damage in there and not sacrifice that much tank. It has tons of flexibility with the four mids. can fit all the cap boosters and tracking enhancers you want. still has the three rigs as normal. And why all of this is significant with a large number of high slots, the Demovix high slots, you really don't have the fittings to do much with them unless you sacrifice a lot in the lows. Vedmac a little less so. The lashak though, is where this bonus really comes into its own because with the four utility high slots, you can fully pimp out this thing with heavy newts, with large remote reps, with smart bombs, And it's a bonus for all that stuff. So not only are you doing best-in-class damage, admittedly, it takes a while to get there, but you get there. You have all this utility that you normally would not be able to find in a battleship that is doing anywhere near this much damage. I think the closest would be like um, uh, an Armageddon or a Dominix, and then you're talking like 750 tops?
0: I think the Macario would be the closest, like old school, more low slot Macario, with the armor nanofiber fit, and then there you only had two utility highs, but it would get similar damage.
1: Oh, well, not even close on damage.
0: Yeah, you're right. Not even close on damage, but similar in the way that it flies, I think.
1: Well, it depends on how you run this shack. So let's talk piloting styles. There's the Alliance Tournament style, and then there's the actual Eve style.
0: Yeah. Now, the Alliance Tournament, it's worth noting that these ships, even though they their bonuses, everything about them screams this is a faction ship, but they were still given the point values of T1 ships. So that is insane. It made them an incredible value for the points. Top onto the fact that they do fantastic damage. So if you're in an Alliance Tournament scenario, you're limited to 10 ships. You want to get as much out of each individual ship as you possibly can, you're getting a lot of bang for your buck as far as DPS is concerned from these things, and they can still fit a good tank on top of it. So that made them particularly well-positioned to be popular in the Alliance Tournament meta.
1: And those utility highs were put to great effect. You saw the most commonly running smart bombs. They weren't able to make use of the remote rep bonus. Newts were common, smart bombs even more common, because this Turner Alliance Tournament was very heavy on remote drone repping excuse me, repping remote, ah, fuck me, remote rep drones. <laughs> uh, Pretty much everybody was using remote rep drones as a thing to try to keep their logistic ships alive. The other strategy to dealing with them is to shoot them, but that's super inefficient. If you want to clear off those drones, you need to get up in there with a smart bomb. And when you have four available smart bomb spots that you can use without sacrificing any damage, that's pretty convincing. Uh, you can clear those drones off really quickly, and then your damage will then be able to apply fully onto that cruiser or frigate, as the case may be, If assuming it's not locked down. And once it is, without those drones, all the damage coming off the Lashak, there's no realistic way it's going to stay up.
0: Yeah, I think most ships, they typically only fit the one large smart bomb, but when you're thinking about the alliance tournament scenario, Large smart bombs are actually pretty difficult to squeeze in, because a lot of the battleships you want to bring either have 8 turret slots in the Hives, so if you think like Vindicator, it has 8 turret slots. Or if you think like a Balgorn, do you really want to drop a Newt or a Nos to fit a smart bomb? It's a hard decision to make, so it's, it's quite difficult to be able to get that smart bomb onto a ship, especially onto a ship that's going to be wanting to be close enough to use it. Right, so you need to put it on a ship where it wants to be close enough to smart bomb off these things. So typically you'd see a large smart bomb on the Vedmat, or pardon me, on the Lashak, and then you'd put Newt's in the rest of the high slots where it had the power grid to do so. Because a large smart bomb on its own is good enough to take out the rep bots in a timely manner, especially considering the, the Lashak has to spool up its damage anyway. So mm-hmm. time spent shooting the thing while you're killing off drones isn't necessarily time wasted. In any case, let's get on to like where it actually matters. TQ. let about <laughs> yeah. the there. So first and foremost we have to address the ship as like a structure bashing ship. If you're solo AFKing a structure, sure it could work for you maybe, but you're better off with a rattlesnake. Like are you, though? You are. The Rattlesnake will get better damage unless you, like, go crazy low on the tank. Like, we're talking triple um, triple damage mod on the Lashak. And that's it's worth noting that that's mostly because the Lashak is armor tanked. Whereas the Rattlesnake is shield tanked, has a massive shield tank bonus, and a bunch of low slots. So you can fit five damage mods and a DC on a Rattlesnake, get 2k-something DPS, and not only does it still tank significantly better than the Lashak, but it also projects better as well, because the Lashak doesn't quite have the range, and it also doesn't quite have the application that you can get if you do, like, Rapid Heavies, or let's face it, you're Structure Bashing, so you're using Torps on the Rattlesnake, so it doesn't really matter, but if you're using Cruises and Sentries which most fleet doctrines tend to do, then the Rattlesnake is just a better option. If you're doing, like, small gang things, I have seen some amusing loss mails on Z-Kill of people trying to do remote rep Lashaks, going in on a Citadel and realizing that Citadel newts are super strong and then losing their super pimp fit remote rep Lashaks. <laughs> it's a bad idea, guys. shacks are good if you are, if you need, if you have a small number of people and you need to get the most amount of DPS that you can. Or if you're a special snowflake. I mean, whatever. But, like, they are not the end all be all structure bashing ship. I think they Unless you just no tank the thing, I think a rattlesnake is still better.
1: Well, they're not just used for structure bashing and not just in small numbers. Some alliances, like Unspoken Alliance, have really heavily invested in the skill points and equipment. To be able to use these things en masse. And we they've even put out some videos to that effect on YouTube, if you can go look them up. They are scary as hell. Um, they're remarkably fast for a battleship, even with a tank on. So you're able to keep pace with even Macario fleets. Against other battleships, if you do not have what you need to literally alpha strike them 100 to 0, then they're really tough. Uh, you can... You know, position yourself such that you're out of range, but if they start the fight in range with you, they are going to stay within range of you. And because they have that remote rep range bonus, you know, they'll probably have a few dedicated logistic ships as well, but they can augment each other's reps very easily. And it's very hard to apply distributed newts to a fleet at that size. Yeah. So the remote rep ability really comes into play there. And like I said, the damage is insane. Your logistics will almost certainly not be able to keep up unless you have, say, a a fax pilot who is prepared for this and you have invested in tanking your ships. Certainly, uh, like your average artillery material, not going to hold up under the fire.
0: Yeah, and I think the, the copious amounts of utility highs and utility mids means you can fit heavy newts. You can spread webs, spread scrams, like, sign a win at zero on a hostile kiting fleet, and just scram them all. If you can't scram them, throw the heavy newt on, catch up, and then scram them. Like, a lot of... Like, especially in, in Great Wildlands, what Unspoken Alliance was doing is it sign a win at zero, and then you can just use heavy newts to shut off the prop mod on Arden materials, and boom. That is now a stuck Arden material, even if it's not scrammed. There's no way the logistics, even if they have a full wing of Bazzies, can get cap out to every material that needs it such that it can turn its prop back on. By that time, it's dead. Um,
1: yep, no, the really the only right thing it. you can do is drop a uh, drop a fax, but oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you're yeah. dropping fax on perhaps the best cap-killing ships in the game. If you don't have the dreadnoughts to, like I said, alpha strike them, uh, you're in some deep shit.
0: Yep. And um, the Lashak is probably the only battleship which can comfortably kill, solo kill, carriers. I know that um, Very Bad at Eve, I think is what the YouTube... That's what the Reddit username is called. Some super amazing Russian PvPer has uploaded a video of solo killing a carrier. Granted, he was dual boxing a Lynx Ponifex alt, but I think we can forgive him that. And In my personal opinion, he would have survived just fine even without the links. So, if you want to go around solo killing carriers in a battleship, the Lashak is probably your weapon of choice.
1: That said, if you plan on sailing around on these things, you better prepare for the Lost Males. Because of the way that these guys are constructed, the materials are very hard to find. Basically, you have to use the new feature that was put out, Abyssal Dead Space. That's where the skill books drop, that's where the blueprints drop, that's where the parts to build from the blueprints drop. As a result, and of course with the demand of these ships, particularly around the Alliance Tournament, particularly around the cool factor with them, you can expect to pay well north of a billion isk for a Le shack. That is beyond the sustainable price point for quite a few EVE players. Some of the smaller ships are a little more affordable. Um, I believe the Damovic is now down to like 150 175 or, Yeah, the frigate one. Yeah. So that's that's doable, but when you consider that, say, a Republic Fleet Firetail is about 20-25 mil, eh, that's a lot.
0: Yeah, the the ship that I was most excited for when these things came out was the VEDMAC, and that's because with its tracking speed bonus and the way that it could come up to damage, even when fitting a full tank, you could theoretically go out with it as a pretty nice solo PvP machine. You could take fights with other cruisers, you could tank them, then spool up your damage and kill them. And that tracking bonus meant that if you get tackled by a random frigate, you're not just dead. You can kill the frigates. You shred frigates. If you wanted to go with, like, a kiting fit, use your mid slots to increase your range. Mind you, you can't use rigs. There's nothing like Locust Coordinators to do it. So you can do the kiting fits and use that tracking bonus to shred frigates that way as well, do sort of an anti-tackle, omen-navy-issue type roll, just with less range. I think it's a bit of a waste, to be honest, because the way anti-tackle works, you really benefit from being able to nuke things quickly. Because let's face it, your cruiser isn't holding tackle on a frigate that doesn't want to be in tackle range. But the... Once the price drops, I am super excited for the opportunities to fly a Vedmac Mac in solo PvP.
1: I'm quite interested in using the frigate, as a matter of fact. I think that uh, the Damagirk has a lot of potential as kind of a DPS augment to an Assault Frigate fleet. You
0: think it'll get the tank? Uh,
1: The tank is not bad, to be honest. The real downside is you can't really utilize those utility highs very well, at least the way I'm thinking of fitting it. But, yeah, I mean, considering the price tag, the tank is not great. But if the price price tag dropped down a little bit, I think it starts to get more compelling. Obviously, in a sea of assault frigates, it's a very tempting target. But if you have people locked down, if you have a little weapon disruption in there, you know, it's a pretty speedy... I mean, like, we're talking... If you do the tech 2 fully spec out, gets like 700 or something damage. Wait, what? Yeah, on the frigate. Yeah. There are a few I'm damage mods on there. Yeah. 400
0: 700 DPS from the frigate.
1: I will double check my numbers, but that's uh, what I had fit up. And that's pretty uh that's pretty good. <laughs> that is nuts.
0: That is like pirate faction cruiser DPS levels. That is hack DPS levels. Like, you aren't getting that DPS out of a T1 cruiser.
1: Wait, let me pull the fit up just to make sure I'm not remembering it wrong. Oh, no, I am remembering it wrong. Sorry, that's the the cruiser I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So what is the actual DPS looking like?
1: Uh, the actual DPS... Uh, 380.
0: Okay, so that's still pretty Still cool. not bad. Like, better than you're getting out of any other frigate, basically.
1: Yeah, that's like cruiser level damage. It's, um... Maybe not cruiser. There are some cal- uh, some Galenti destroyers will hit that. Like, uh... Amagus, spec out for combat, will hit that. It also has drones, which I'm not factoring in.
0: And it is worth noting that it can go into novice plexus. So, mm-hmm. for warfare type PvP, it could be useful. Assuming you don't just get blobbed. <laughs> Granted, if somebody takes a fight with you, they're probably dumb. I
1: never
0: know. <laughs> now, how fast do you go with the AB and the Damovic? Like, is it fast enough? You think you could slingshot a kiting Tristan, for example?
1: Uh, goes about a k a second with the afterburner, even with a plate on.
0: Okay, so yeah, you could definitely definitely catch like the standard kiting Tristan fit, especially after the mass nerf and the speed nerf that we saw previously. How's the range? Can you deal with like scram kiting ships, as I expected? Oh yeah nice so So you're not going to get scram kited you can scram kite effectively because of the number of mids you've got
1: so it's pretty versatile range wise can hit out the 20k wow yeah at 20k it's doing 220
0: that is significantly better than i expected It, it could be a pretty good kiting frigate if you fit it for such
1: it could you didn't you don't have to go in balls deep just to get the max damage 220 is very respectable
0: like Especially if you're just MWD, nano, and sil type kiting, you catch a target, you can sit on it and ramp up the DPS. There's not much you can do about it. Assuming you don't mess up your piloting or get too lazy and get slingshot, you can just ramp up and kill the thing.
1: So yeah, it's got potential. I'd love to, uh any listeners out there, I would love to hear your stories. If you have tried these ships, you want to share how the fights went, you want to share your observations of using them, Send it in to myself and Artemis. Love to read about it on the show. All right. Uh, that's the triglavians. Let's move on to highlights. Uh, my highlight was finding out Ebola was splitting up. <laughs> I was mid-convo with uh, somebody from Inc. Burntime Viral. Not to be confused with Time, their executor. And we were talking, and he was going on about, like, the war and what, what was going to come next. And then mid-conversation, he goes, and it's over. I'm like, well, what do you mean it's over? (laughs) Well, you gotta hop on to TS right now and get the details, but they just disbanded I was like, holy shit. So they didn't quite disband, but it was still pretty cool. Artemis?
0: Yeah, my highlight, um, first of all, quick mention to the runner-up highlight, I finally won a game in Stellaris. Super happy about it. I was late to the Stellaris train. I missed some DLC that I recently found out about. And so I've been playing, I bought all the DLC, been playing it, it's fantastic, highly recommended, great thing to do in, like, lag-fest slideshows. And, uh, yeah, I finally got a domination victory. Hive Mind for the win. But my actual highlight is an old-school RR Mega Room that happened, first time in, like, a year. It was fantastic. We had a bunch of the old faces, out with, of course, Killa and his dudes. Killa was the FC, like you do. We had Zeba there. We had Solidus there. Ushi Tenor, almost everybody from back in the day, from the old school RR Mega crew. we were only missing a few key, few key people. Alec was one of them. I think he went on our RR Mega fleet, right, Alec? Yeah, I used to. Yeah. A big a big glaring hole was the Quadrupus. If we had had a Quadrupus, it would have been phenomenal. The amount of stuff we could have caught. But instead of a quadrupus, we had me, dual boxing, of course the nester, and then, for reasons I am not willing to explain on the podcast, I happen to have a hyperspatial fit revelation pretty close to
1: our form-up. Oh my.
0: So I just refit that thing to a nice old combat haw fit and gated it around with the battleship fleet. And I'll have you know that for everyone who scoffed at it before we undocked, my Haw fit hyperspatial fit revelation was faster gate-to-gate than their Vindicators, than their Mega Navies. So, <laughs> do not discount the gating HA-Rub. is fantastic, it was great to fly, even flaying, even dual-boxing the Nestor, which has the most... Uh, active modules I've ever flown in a single ship. I was still able to, uh, still able to roll the, roll the revelation. We didn't get any big fights out of it. We had a few ganks, got about a dozen kills. I added three, two or three kill marks to the Nester. Didn't get any kill marks on my, on my revelation. But we had a fantastic kill mill. Final gank of the night as we were, came back to Akadagi to dock up. And we warped to a plex. I forget what was at the plex. It was like a novice or something like that. And this Crucifier comes in at range. Crucifier Navy. And of course, we're all in there with MJD battleships. Except for my Revelation. But my Revelation can lock out to 150 and has Scorch. So, we MJD our battleships out. And this Crucifier Navy gets caught by Killas Vindi. And despite the fact... That kill as Vindy is the one that lands on it first, gets Vindy webs on it, and starts shooting it. My Nestor, which MJD'd out, and then launched Geckos, managed to get nearly 50% of the DPS. We had my Rev on the kill mail, we had multiple faction, pirate faction, navy faction battleships on this thing, and the Beam Laser Heron made it on the kill mail. So <laughs> definitely... <laughs> nice my favorite Kimball of the Night. I wish it showed on Z Kill that it happened on a novice flex. That would just make it perfect. But that's my host highlight. Old school. Almost almost complete R R Mega Fleet. Missing a few key pieces. But it was good enough.
1: And that's it guys. Go to decorationsaward.com to participate in our show poll. Leave a comment on this episode. Capitalist Army is recruiting. Um Looks like the Ebola war is about to pop off, so if you were worried that you might miss out... Alec, market it. <laughs> Wild War Two. <II. laughs> if you want to be involved in Wild War II, come join the Capitalist Army. Uh, seriously, it's gonna get real interesting real fast. So, if listeners, if you're out there, you uh, maybe have considered being in Nulsec, didn't know when the right time was, now's the time. If you've been involved in the northern or southern wars and have thought, man, I could have better things to do with myself when I'm sitting here in 1% tie-dye waiting for hours to press a single button and you want to enjoy the game at full speed and still have cap fights and still have fun, come down to Great Wildlands, join the Capitalist Army. It is for you. Uh, Newer players, we are willing to train you. Veterans, you'll have plenty of company. Join Capitalist Chat in-game for more info. You'll also get a link to our Discord. And wherever you are, good hunting listeners.